Thanks to Health IQ for supporting today's Market Foolery. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com/fool. You can take the proprietary Health IQ quiz and potentially save up to 41% on premiums. It's Tuesday, February 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me in studio, Mr. Jim Mueller. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We've got the bane of my investing existence uh, with its latest <laughs> quarterly report. We're going to dip into the full mailbag, but we're going to start with the business story of the day, and that is the fact that nearly two years after the merger of T-Mobile and Sprint was announced, we are we're not at the finish line, but we are one big step closer to this deal being finished. Um, a U.S. district judge ruled in favor of Sprint's $26 billion deal to merge with T-Mobile. And in terms of the stocks, shares of T-Mobile up about 10%, shares of Sprint up 72%. Yeah, well, 72% from a really low number. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> is, but is, the T-Mobile the pop was... Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty significant. And I like it because uh, it it shows the market's expectation that yeah, this is going to be actually a good thing for both uh, for both companies to merge into one. Uh, one one of the things uh, I found that uh, kind of unusual is that uh, the claim is that this is going to be job creating from the get go. Most mergers like this uh, are job destroying because you uh, overlap on a whole bunch of uh, uh, back uh, back office things, for instance. And uh, but these guys are saying, yeah, we're going to create something like thirty five hundred jobs. I think is the number for the first year and eleven thousand over the next five years. That's pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. If they can pull that off, and it's yep. interesting because they, you know, to your point, they're trying to strike a balance. They're trying to say, "Hey, no, we're going to create jobs," but they're also saying to Wall Street, eh, "We think about six billion dollars in synergies right. will be saved." Because yes, absolutely, some of the, you know, HR, finance, legal, some of those jobs uh, go away. I, I should mention um, again, we're not we're not at the final. Step here. Um, it still needs to be um, approved by the California Public Utilities Commission. Right. But as you said, I mean, you look at the market reaction. Uh, it's it seems like maybe not. A, I don't want to jinx it, but it seems like this is going to happen. Um, I, I think it will. The states, uh, the thirteen states that were challenging it, led by California and New York. Uh, the New York Attorney General said that uh, she still wants to really think about this, and she still believes the judge was wrong. But uh, I think, in reading the the uh, excerpts from the judge's uh, decision, it seems that he was pretty on board, saying that yeah, this is going to be actually better for the industry. Uh, T-Mobile, uh, he, call, he called them out. T-Mobile has really challenged the incumbents, AT&T and uh, Verizon, uh, uh, the companies that uh, CEO John Ledger, Ledger, sorry, uh, Ledger, uh, Call, uh, routinely called dumb and dumber, yeah. <laughs> in, in in his notes. Uh, but uh, he says uh, the judge that is says that. Uh, it, it should be good for the business, and we're having a fourth company stood up in in the form of Dish Network. Uh, they're being stood up out with a uh, with the use of uh, T-Mobile and Sprint's uh, networks for I believe seven years, and a whole bunch of the customers that are going to be uh, uh, transferred over to them to get them up and running as a fourth uh, cell provider competitor. Uh, you mentioned John Ledger and. 
one of my favorite CEOs. <laughs> Never fails to entertain. But I think it's you know Ledger because of his antics, because of the way he would go after, uh, in particular. Uh, Verizon and AT&T in very public ways. I should also mention both those stocks down ever so slightly. If you're AT&T and you're Verizon, you're you're not thrilled about this. Right. Um, but maybe it it helps a little bit that John Ledger is not going to be the CEO of the resulting company. Um, Mike Sievert is is going to uh, get yeah. the corner office on this. So um, that was, it, that was announced last November. So yeah, it's not it's not a new thing with this. Right. And if you like colorful CEOs, well, there's a little bit of sadness with this. But it's I got to point out that Ledger wasn't just amusing and colorful. He was also a very effective business leader. He did a great job of adding subscribers to the bottom line for T-Mobile. If he wasn't able to do that, then he would have just been a mouthy CEO who right. wasn't backing it up. No, he backed it up. No, he did. And one of the things he did was he got, I think, he got the company more energized in in both getting its customers satisfied, which for this industry is a big hurdle, and and getting the employees more engaged, and happy employees lead to happy customers, and that leads to better business. And the revenue numbers that this company have been growing like crazy. So yeah, they've been they've been doing pretty well under Ledger, and I hope they continue under uh, Sievert. Let's move on to Under Armour. Fourth quarter sales came in lower than expected, and even worse, Under Armour said that they expect sales to drop in 2020, and I. Get that they are also dealing, like a lot of companies, with the ripple effects of the coronavirus in China. They've got hundreds of shops in China, so obviously that's going to have a material effect in Q1. They expect that's going to hit sales somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 million dollars. But if that were the only problem Under Armour had, if the only problem they had was the coronavirus, then maybe the stock wouldn't be down 18 percent today. Not at all. That's just um, one of many, many problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're doing they're doing pretty well internationally. That's growing in double digits, and then and they're expecting that for next year as well. But when the international, when the North American business is seventy percent of your sales, and it's expected to go down next year, yeah, that's that's not a good sign. And Under Armour really needs to refocus on its core competency. Uh, they get a little unfocused, I think, uh, with uh, wearables and uh, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, they have to compete against Nike and uh, Lulu, Lululemon, uh, but uh, they haven't been able to really focus on on what they need to focus on. Yeah, it really seems like among their problems, um, they're discounting too much. Um, they talked about being heavily reliant on uh, Kohl's and the discounting that went on at Kohl's. Um, it also seems like they just have too many skews. They just have too many, you know. They make good stuff. I've said this before about Under Armour. They they appear to have gotten, in some ways, the most challenging part of athletic apparel correct. They make good stuff. Uh, they just appear to have a problem with almost every other part of retail. Right. Um, I don't follow the company extensively, so you and uh, who's a Jason uh, follow it better. But uh, another thing I, I noticed was that uh, in 2019, they brought in less cash through the front door as well. Even though they, they grew revenue just a little bit, um, 
and got gross margin to improve uh, thanks to pulling back some of those discounts you were talking about. They brought in about $120 million less in free uh, cash flow from operations. So that's money coming in the front door, not as much. On the good side, though, they are, they are working down on their long-term debt. That was down by five, uh, down 19%, something like that, and their cash balance was up significantly. So, the balance sheet is stronger. Uh, this is uh, CEO Patrick Frisk's first quarter, I believe. Yes. And so, uh, we'll. I, th- I think it's okay to give them a little bit of uh, uh, give him a little bit of time to get uh, to get really g- uh, going on on his job. But uh, if they continue as they've been going, yeah, they it's going to be not fun for shareholders. You own a lot more stocks than I do, and I'm curious how you think about. Look, this is a stock that is down 50% for me, um, and I'm not. I have no plans to sell it because it's such a tiny part of my portfolio, and it's. I've basically moved it, both mentally and emotionally, just <laughs> off, like off to the side. It's a business that yes, I'm rooting for. Yes, I would love for it over the next three years to triple, but I. Uh, I've almost stopped yeah. caring about it, and I'm curious. You know, what is your experience? How do you deal with stocks that have a similar path, where you went in, you had your thesis, it didn't work out, and now you look at your portfolio and it's one percent or less of your investing portfolio? How do you think about a business like that? Well, unless I can see a way for the company to turn around. Uh, I'd rather get rid of it personally, even though yeah, it's a little tiny piece and it doesn't feel like it's worth selling. But there is some money tied up, even if it's only a few hundred dollars tied up in that. And you probably have better ideas of where to put that money, and have uh, even adding a few hundred dollars to a winner uh, could help boost that down the road. There's also the psychological thing. Every time you look at your portfolio, I don't know how often you do that, but every time you do, you see that. Oh, Dang, there's Under Armour. <laughs> I bet you do. And even though you say you've put it aside, it still hits you like a little needle every time. So it does. Although I've, I've, like I said, I've kind of stopped caring about it. Or, or I've, I shouldn't say I've stopped caring about it. I've stopped being upset about it. And to me, it's almost a visual reminder of a mistake I made, and that I. I hope is going to be helpful to me as an investor in other businesses going forward. There is that, and I've heard many many investors I admire say that uh, you might want to still trim it down and recover some of that money and put it back to use rather than consigning it to the depths. You know me; I'll just spend it on coffee. Well, you love coffee, <laughs> and it's supposed to be healthy, right? Absolutely. Another another study came out. Now it's good for your bones. I love it. Uh, quick shout out to Health IQ. If you're a runner or a cyclist or CrossFit or any type of athlete, or you're maybe you're a vegetarian, maybe you eat healthy. You deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. That's where Health IQ comes in. It can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ, and you won't find them anywhere else. You must qualify to get a special rate. To see if you qualify, that's easy. Just go to healthiq.com/fool. Take the proprietary Health IQ quiz, and depending on your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. That's healthiq.com slash fool. You can hit us up on Twitter. At MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. Question from Daniel Shelton in Sacramento, California. 
who writes on Twitter, hold the phone, is your swag shop gone? I was hankering, hankering for a full t-shirt, but it's gone? Why, oh why? It's not gone, Daniel. It really needs one of those signs like you see at the mall or on Main Street that just <laughs> says, pardon our dust, uh, we're renovating. The swag shop is going to be unveiled, n- bigger, better, more robust, more products in, I'm, I'm going to say, April. I'm, I don't want to overpromise, but right now it's looking like April. So hang in there, Daniel. Personally, I just love that he says he's hankering for it. Yes. I love good, that. Good word. Uh, our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Judah Seidman in New Jersey, who writes I know a little about the UN resolution to limit high sulfur fuel in the world's ports, and I know that renewable energy is a good thing. So do you think clean energy, ticker symbol CLNE, is positioned to take advantage of these trends? What do you think? That's a really good question. I like I like where he's going with this. Uh, so, just a little bit of background. He's referring to IMO, which is I had it written down. Oh, International Maritime Organization 2020 rule, and it's the latest and maybe the last. I'm not sure. Uh, reduction of the sulfur levels in the fuels that ocean-going ships uh, are allowed to use uh, brings it down to 0.5 percent, which is a significant drop from the previous. And that's been going on for 15, 16 years. Uh, as a result, ships are requiring are being required to use new fuels, uh, new blends of fuel uh, to lower the sulfur amount, uh, use the same fuel but install scrubbers on the exhaust to capture the sulfur uh, dioxides, or just change it altogether, such as uh, liquefied natural gas. And that's where clean energy comes in, but not directly. Uh, clean energy is focused primarily on fuel as over-the-road uh, transport, uh, specifically in trucks, uh, those out-and-back delivery trucks. Uh, Waste management's a big company, a big customer of uh, clean energy, for instance, um, where they go out and run a route and come back and can be fueled overnight. Uh, but clean energy is really uh, waiting for the Class 8 f- uh, trucks, the big semi-rigs. Uh, to get uh, into natural gas in a big way. Um, and that's not been helped by low prices of diesel because of low prices of oil, and so they've uh, been struggling. Uh, but if you want to play this trend, you might have uh, you might might think of some other uh, ways of doing it. Uh, cruise lines, for instance, are are transferring their ships over to liqui- uh, liquefied natural gas (LNG). Uh, for instance, Carnival has one. Uh, the the uh, Ada Nova, I think, is the name of the ship in the Mediterranean. That's all LNG run. Uh, Big Oil, uh, such as Shell, is investing in LNG, both as a producer and as running ships that fuel other ships with LNG. They go out to the ship and and refuel it. Those are called bunker ships. Uh, There's storage. Uh, Kinder Morgan uh, has a facility in Jackson County and Georgia. Uh, Mississippi and Georgia, uh, Chenier Energy, Semper Energy, Dominion Energy, they're all into that kind of uh, storage and export out of the U.S. uh, in LNG. So there's many ways to play it, but there's no direct link between clean energy and the IMO 2020. So it sounds like you like the trend, but not clean energy fuels as the best way to play the trend. 
I do like the trend. I am invested in clean energy fuels. I think they'll be able to do it. It's just taken a lot longer than anybody's ever hoped. It is a uh, active recommendation stock advisor from David Gardner. Uh, unfortunately, it's down about 90% or something, but uh, he hasn't closed it, uh, probably because uh, there's a couple of us here at The Fool who like it. Um, there are many ways to play uh, natural gas, both uh, the shipment of it, uh, such as through pipelines, that's Kinder Morgan, for instance, uh, or liquefying it and exporting it. Uh, and, and those are like uh, Chenier and Semper and, and those guys. Fortunately, I'm pretty sure David has some winners to make up for that. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> Jim Mueller, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.